Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast that explores the creative and curious world of work through monologues and occasional conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and changemakers. Sky Rapson is an academic and ADHD coach who works with many employees and managers with ADHD. Her neurodiverse-run ADHD support service, Unconventional Organization, combines researched articles and coaching to help people reduce overwhelm in their daily work lives. In this conversation, Sky shares how her ADHD diagnosis at the start of her doctoral program took her on a journey from academic tutor to entrepreneur. She talks about the different ways neurodiversity shows up in the workplace and how understanding ourselves and those around us is crucial. She also explains how the get in focus routine helps those with ADHD to get started on their work. Whether you have ADHD or not, there's a lot to learn about yourself and others in this conversation. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 623. Well, Sky, welcome to Getting Work to Work. It's wonderful to talk with you today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you taking the time to reach out and, and want to be a part of the show. It means a lot when people do that. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. I really appreciated, yeah, the conversations you were having and the interesting people you had on. So I really wanted to to chat to you. Well, speaking of interesting, uh, what got you curious about population health? Yeah, that was a good question. I was thinking about that. And honestly, and this, you know, kind of speaks to ADHD here. Uh, before I did population health, I did I studied um, and have same sort of degrees in psychology, sociology, public health, and population health was a space where I could study people and learn about people and bring all of those different areas in. So why the reason I liked population health was it allowed me to do a lot of different things. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, you can't really think of a better time in modern history where population health is basically a, a headline in every newspaper around the world. Yeah, I mean, that's very, very true. I kind of feel a bit like my my topic was on you know economic satisfaction among parents. Um, so I felt <laughs> like my um my degree is not um, exactly in what everyone's talking about, but yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, well, economics definitely is something people are talking a lot about now. Yeah, for sure. How does population health connect with ADHD? Because that's something that that not only are you building a business around, but you have so much research focused on ADHD. Yeah, so I got diagnosed with um, ADHD um, at the beginning of my doctorate in population health. So. I had been studying people. Um, I've always been interested in people, how they work, um, how systems affect people. Um, I'd previously, you know, worked in um, on done research in a rest home, looking at that as environment. Hmm. Um, and now I was looking at, you know, economics and and parents. And so when I got diagnosed, it was a huge realization, not of what I had now, but of what I had always had, and having to go back and sort of think about everything from that perspective. And of course, I got super interested in it from a research perspective, because that was kind of how I was thinking about everything, particularly Mm -hmm. at the time. Yeah. Was there a moment when you were diagnosed where there was stigma around it? Or was it more of like, oh, that makes a lot of sense? 
it's it, it is interesting i think it, it was a whole gamut of emotions i went in for what i thought was dysle- um, dyslexia um so i just sort of went in thinking i might have something i know it's you know in my family so let me check it out um and when i came out they said i think you might have adhd and i was like oh this is really cool this really relates to me hmm. um i had no idea and then you know i um and then there was like, oh, you do have ADHD. And then there was, it was kind of a sadness. And I think a lot of people experience this for like, I wish I'd known this sooner. You know, mm-hmm. this, this explained a lot of my, my twenties. And I feel like it would have been nice to know that this was happening at the time. Um, and then sort of going, okay, well, since I know this, what can I do with this information? Mm. What impact does it have on people when they finally know? I mean, you said, oh, I wish I would have known. Like, what what would have been different, do you think? I think the biggest thing for me was that I I always thought that if I figured out, I spent a lot of time in my 20s trying to be a something and then going, oh, I don't think that is that is it. So I clearly it's it's I'm not interested enough in it. So I'm going to try and be something else. Mm-hmm. And never thinking that it might be the environment that I was in rather than the topic. And I talk about this a lot with my clients is that when you're in the workplace, your environment can be almost as important as the area that you're working in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's sort of wasn't something I knew so I would sort of do something go something into something very intensely you know and a lot of time that would be like a a postgrad or a or a degree and learn a lot do well take a break because I'd burnt out do something completely different (laughs) interesting is there a connection between burnout and ADHD just I'm, I'm really curious about that yeah yeah I mean the research I can't pull out of the top of my head but I know that there is often a connection. We have a lot of clients that we work with who have experienced it. And often it's because people, you know, will throw everything they have at the new job or the new thing that they're trying to do and um, and not always considering how they need to support themselves, particularly if they didn't know that they had ADHD like I did. Yeah. Yeah. One of the one of the phrases that you use a lot on your website is neuro neurodiverse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What does it mean to be neurodiverse? Yeah, neurodiverse um, is a term that just means thinking differently from the norm. So it's sort of a term that includes a lot of neurodiversities such as ADHD, but also ASD, um, autism spectrum, mm-hmm. and um, dyslexia, dyscalculia, dyspraxia. Um, so it's it's those sort of different ways of of your brain working essentially. Mm. There's something amazing about that term, though, because even though I think on one hand it's it can be seen as a negative label, mm-hmm. I like how you described it as thinking differently from the norm. I mm-hmm. love that. I love that. I appreciate. It. I've thought about that a lot because <laughs> I get asked this question, and it is it's interesting. I work with a lot of people, and they appreciate we talk about strong strengths strong weaknesses Mm -hmm. um a lot and with adhd specifically and so it's an understanding that yes there are weaknesses but there are also strong strengths and so it's about you know managing your weaknesses to focus on your strengths Hmm. that sounds a lot like strengths uh finder uh, yeah that that research Mm -hmm. yeah no definitely it's it, it it does have a lot in common with that so when does neurodiversity become a superpower? I think neurodiversity becomes a superpower 
when you are able to have the struggles that you have supported through in various ways, changes in environment, accommodations, maybe doing something that fits you better. And so you can spend most of your time working in the areas that traditionally you know, work for you. And everyone with ADHD can be different, but often that is, you know, creative thinking, ideation, uh, problem solving at a high level, that kind of thing. If you can do a lot of that and you don't have to do a lot of admin, basically, (laughs) um, that can be a really great space to be in with ADHD. Oh, that's really cool. I'm hearing a lot too, Sky. a lot of like, know thyself involved in this. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it is a lot. And it's it's strange because I definitely had this experience where, you know, I did research, you know, ADHD um, in children as part of my um, university career. Um, but when you know it for yourself as an adult and you understand how these things affect you, it can be a really amazing experience because it just feels like you are different. And so the neurodiversity is there, but it doesn't have anything to attach itself to. It just feels like there's everyone else and then there's just you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which in some instances is really freeing, especially I think in a creative environment or Mm -hmm, a creative mm -hmm. uh, industry, Mm -hmm. but in in a place that demands every worker to be the same, I can see Mm -hmm. that being a huge problem. Yeah, it can be it can be tricky because, you know, on the one hand, you'll hear, you know, a lot of people who are neurodiverse will hear, you know, oh, that's amazing. I never thought about that from that perspective before. That's really interesting. Please fill out this form about why <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> because there's a sort of, un- there's not an understanding necessarily. And there is a growing understanding. You know, I've been working with a lot of people and a lot of, you know, growing number of people and organizations on this. There is an understanding now that you, if someone's good at that space of problem solving and creative thinking, they're not necessarily going to have strengths in other areas and and asking them to have both might not be the best. Mm, Interesting. I thought there was a really strong trigger warning when he said, here's a form, fill it out, please. I'm like, no, no form. No forms, please. I do think that might be a universal dislike as well. Yes, exactly. <laughs> One of the things that I was thinking a lot about as I was preparing for our conversation was how goals are different for those with ADHD. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I really like this because one of the first things we do with clients is we we take go through um, a survey of um, neuro-ADHD struggles and things like people are struggling with. And then we develop those into what we call ADHD-friendly long-term goals. And we use the term ADHD-friendly a lot because it's very important that we focus on goal setting, not just in terms of this is what I want to achieve. So for example, I want to start getting to work on time, mm-hmm. um, but also in terms of, okay, what is, how do we look at this from the research behind ADHD? So, you know, having that movement in the morning to support working memory, having that dopamine in the morning to sort of get you up and get you going, um, things like that are going to be making the difference. So it's it's similar because you're still setting goals, but the goals have to be filtered through the ADHD research and understanding how people with ADHD work best. 
I love that ADHD friendly long term goals, especially yeah. because you know, ooh, shiny object over here. <laughs> I'm gonna go. <laughs> yeah, we we have the goals for for both the coaches and the clients. It helps us, you know, have that blueprint as we go through. And you know, we're still focusing on what people need in the, at that week. But it's good to it's good to come back. And often people come back, and even if they haven't been necessarily focusing on them, sometimes they'll find that they've been chipping away at those goals. As part of as part of it anyway. Yeah. What kind of impact has that focus on setting ADHD friendly long term goals had on your clients? It's had a big impact. It's interesting. I'm always I'm really I'm really honored, honestly, to work with um with with the people that we work with because they led us into all of their life. You know, mm-hmm. people often start with the morning um, morning routine, and I sort of say, hey tell me everything that happens and don't leave out any details. And they go, right, well, I get up and I get dressed. I'm like, no, no, no. You get up and then you look at your phone, correct? <laughs> like, <laughs> Take me through like that level of detail. And people are willing to go with us on that. And, and it's, it's, been, it's been amazing to be able to then go, oh, interesting, that flow is a little bit different or this is connected to time blindness and this could be adjusted to reduce your transition times. And this is the research behind it. And then just see people just get happier, essentially, just feel like life isn't so hard and doesn't have to be so hard. Ooh, what's time blindness? Yeah, so time blindness is something that um, a lot of neurodiverse people and particularly people with ADHD struggle with, um, where essentially we don't feel time in the same way as neurotypicals. So, you know, they've done research around if you are identifying how long something takes, so like press a button, you know, in 10 minutes, you know, if you have ADHD, um, people will tend to have a harder time guesstimating how long that period of time is um, versus people who are neurotypical. And it can, it can show up often in getting ready to go to a thing where people are just checking their phone, checking their phone, checking their phone. Oh, suddenly it's, you know, how did we lose 20 minutes? That kind of thing. Oh, interesting. Wow. Now we know why people set like 50 alarms on their phones. Yeah. Yeah. And the problem with that is if you set 50 alarms, you will ignore them. (laughs) (laughs) So for those who struggle with ADHD and haven't been diagnosed or Mm -hmm. they have an idea, how can they begin to understand how it affects their life so that they can make those changes that will impact them? Yeah, no, that's a really good question because the diagnosis process can actually be quite long. A lot of the time you have to be diagnosed um, by a psychiatrist and there's usually a very long waiting list. Um, So we actually, because we're not um, in the process of diagnosing or anything like that, we work with people with executive functioning struggles. So if you're on the journey, as we call it, to, to getting diagnosed with ADHD, we will we will work with you. And I recommend just having a go, you know, looking at the different um, routines, the different strategies, and just seeing if they improve your life. Because if they do, even if you get to the end and you find out, you know, maybe you have something else, you know, executive functioning is important in a lot of different areas. Hmm. And what is executive functioning, just for uh, clarity? Um, Executive functioning is basically the um the support around uh the frontal lobes the idea of like forward planning making decisions um working memory struggles things like that so as you've researched adhd what's been the most surprising discovery 
This is a really good question. Um, I started researching ADHD because I was looking into it and I wanted um, motivation to do it. So I decided I was going to put it on a website (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I was going to reference it because that's what I do. Um, It's part of what, you know, being an academic kind of teaches you to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was really interested in that the idea that there was a lot of things that were very commonly discussed in the neurodiverse ADHD um, groups that I was a part of that were not researched almost at all in the um, in the actual literature. Um, so an example is RSD, which is rejection sensitivity dysphoria. Um, and a lot of people with ADHD talk about the idea that they have RSD and that they struggle with RSD. But there's not a lot of research into RSD or the terminology of that. Another one is waiting mode. People who are ADHD often talk about waiting mode, which is essentially the feeling that you get when you have a meeting at three and you don't do anything until then. You just sort of sit around (laughs) waiting for this meeting to happen, even if you have all day. Um, But the terminology and and the research on that is, 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 you know, not in the literature. So it was, it was quite a lot harder than I realized to bring what was written in the research into what's practically supporting people with ADHD. What's rejection sensitivity? Sense rejection sensitivity dysphoria. Rejection sensitivity dysphoria. Okay, I'm gonna have to go look this up on my website because that's why I have the articles. <laughs> Working memory. I don't want to get the um, get the re- references wrong. But essentially, it's um, it's talking about the experiences that people have when they feel rejected and how that can be a quite an extreme emotional feeling um, sort of above and beyond what you might feel when you get rejected and say sitting and you feel like, you know, uh, that that's not, that's not great. Um, Really struggling to kind of move past that essentially. Hmm. So yeah, it's a propensity to anxiously expect readily perceive and overreact to rejection. Mm, Interesting. What's fascinating too is as as we're talking about all this, there's a strong connection to the world of creativity and mm-hmm. creative people. Because I, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people in the creative industry who do have ADHD. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. I hear things like RSD and I'm like, ah, we all struggle with that one. <laughs> <laughs> no one likes to be rejected in the creative. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think creativity is one of the strengths of neurodiversity. Um, so it makes sense, like thinking differently, thinking outside the box and creative problem solving lends itself to creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I even like you go so far in your website to say that AD, people with ADHD are more creative. Yeah, I think that's that's been a bit of a controversial one, but it is something that, you know, research has indicated that that might be the case. I definitely don't think that it's going to be 100% of the time. But again, if you're thinking outside of the box and you're thinking differently from the norm, that's going to be a factor. So coming from a background in academia, when did Mm -hmm. you know you wanted to branch out and also help people with, you know, creating programs that support them? I was an academic tutor for about seven years. I tutored in sociology, statistics, psychology, um, human development, all of these kind of areas. And I really loved working with 
adults or you know young adults and helping them to understand things they hadn't understood before that sense of you know having people get it and being the person who explained it to them and when I started my doctorate I said okay I'm not going to do tutoring anymore because I need to focus on the writing Mm -hmm. and I don't want to get distracted by doing you know a lot of a lot of teaching Um, and then I I wasn't happy (laughs) because I really, really love communicating to people and talking to people. Mm -hmm. And so when I, when I got diagnosed, I actually went to the um, inclusive learning center and said, Hey, I'd like to start a, um, a group for people who are neurodiverse um, doing post-grad and kind of run the group and and talk about neurodiversity. And that was kind of the beginning of, of getting into what I do now. Oh, interesting. And that's what led you to create unconventional organization. Yeah, because, you know, I was working with the university and then I started working with schools, actually, um, supporting them to understand um, ADHD students in schools. And then when the pandemic hit, that all went away. Mm -hmm. And so I was looking around to see what I could do, communicating with people, talking with people about this area that I was so interested in online. And that's when I found ADHD coaching and I started doing it. And it was very it was very rewarding and it just you know one of my that's when i also started writing the articles and putting them on the website Mm. and so unconventional organization is uh, one-on-one adhd coaching yeah so it's an it's an adhd support service and it includes um research articles um one-on-one coaching is a big part of what we do and then it also includes um online workshops that you can watch and and you can learn from there as well. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. Has it has it really brought a different um I guess the word I'm thinking of is flavor to your work? The ADHD? Uh the unconventional organization. Just kind of like creating an organization that that can help people. Yeah, I mean I think it's changed my life. It's been amazing. I mean one of the greatest things is that I've gone from talking to very few neurodiverse people to communicating almost extensively to neurodiverse people. You know, all of the coaches on our website um, have ADHD. A lot of the people that work for us are neurodiverse as well. And then we get to help neurodiverse people. So it's, it's been amazing. That's got to be pretty powerful then when you have, when the coaches who are connecting with others also understand the struggle. Yeah. Yeah. It can be really amazing. Often, you know, uh, clients will come and they'll just unload all the stuff that they've always wanted to say. And then sometimes they'll be like, sorry, I know I talk really fast or I'm saying a lot of things and I don't know if you can get it all. And the the coach is always like, don't worry about it. I've got this. I'm writing this down. (laughs) We're going there together. Right. That's awesome. So one of the systems that you've created is called the get in focus routine. What, Mm -hmm. What is that? Yeah, the get in focus routine is something that I developed to kind of to walk someone through a lot of issues that often um, are a struggle for ADHD people and probably a lot of other people as well um, when they're starting to do work. Mm. I found that people, it was a huge area where people were struggling um, with getting started. And so it, there's um, four different steps to getting in focus. And it's based on the idea that if you're sitting on your couch, for example, on your phone, that's a reasonably high dopamine 
high stimulation environment. <laughs> if you're then trying to move into sitting at your desk doing work, deep work, that is quite a low stimulation environment unless you really enjoy it, in which case we're not having this conversation. <laughs> but, you know, so, so there's this big gap and you're supposed to just leap across that gap. And instead, we recommend kind of having some steps down. So, you know, step one is motivating yourself to get to your desk with something that would be a stimulation for you. For some people, it's coffee. For some people, it's a cup of tea and reading an article, um, listening to something or watching a YouTube video, things like that. Um, and kind of getting yourself there and then turning off distractions once you're in that space and then writing down. Um, writing down what you want to do during this period of time. Because often people, again, that time blindness can say, well, you know, I'm going to start by uh, writing that essay that I've been putting off for ages. <laughs> and it's, you know, breaking it down to, okay, you've got two hours or one hour or whatever it is. You're going to review this, write this, you know, draft this email and kind of making it very specific so you can have that as a basis to come back to if you get distracted. And then, you know, tinkering, which is basically circling the task, kind of opening the application, looking at it, writing a heading, highlighting, not engaging with it right now. And then from there, you know, getting into um, getting into work and there's more detail to it and we adapt it and break it and bend it for everybody as they need. But, you know, that's essentially what it is. That's really interesting too, because it shows the power of having a framework that is adaptable to every person that comes through it, mm -hmm. and yet it still works for every person. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting one because sometimes people, I, I haven't had any clients yet who haven't needed most of it. <laughs> I think sometimes people don't need to tinker as much because they're not as anxious about yeah. the work. Um, but often, you know, people say, oh, it's not working. And I say, well, did you write down the little tasks the, that you had to do? And usually the answer is no. <laughs> so one no one wants to do. And I totally get it. I resist that as well. But it really helps. So what should those who don't have ADHD or those who are neurotypical, what should they know about people who do have ADHD or people who are neurodiverse? Um, I was thinking about this question, and I think one of the important things to know is that people who are neurodiverse are often working very, very hard. Um, it just might not be showing up in the output that is um, that is that is coming through. So, for example, somebody might be spending an hour editing an email to get it right and to convey what they're trying to convey, or they might be, you know, struggling to get to a certain task but spending all of their time trying to get to that task mm -hmm. um, and so even if they don't get there or they get there late it's not necessarily for a lack of effort it's just for a lack of tools and strategies and understanding mm. i can see how important it is then for managers and leaders to be educated in what uh, this means to the workforce yeah, no, 100%, 100%. And there's a new there's sort of increasing interest in that. I recently got the opportunity to talk to the managers in the New Zealand government, actually, about this particular topic mm -hmm. and, um, and about how they can support neurodiverse people in their workforce. Yeah. Because is the research show an increase in ADHD or is it, you know, the same as it's always been? 
That's a good question. I the research there's a there's much more people being diagnosed mm-hmm. um and I work with the adult population specifically so I can't speak to kids mm-hmm. but a lot of people are realizing that they have ADHD. Wow. Dumb question, but what causes it? Um that's a good question actually because <laughs> they don't know for sure. Um <laughs> but um but yeah it's um it's you know it's considered that it might be genetic there could be environmental factors but there's not a specific thing that's you know pinpointed. Mm. So fascinating. It's it what's interesting about all this guy is that it's it's really about understand taking the time to understand not only yourself but other people. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think it's, it's been great because, you know, as you learn about this topic, you learn more about yourself, but you also learn more about other people and how to help them, not just, you know, the people that are our clients, but also our coaches go through that as well. They learn about themselves as they learn how to help other people with ADHD. Well, Sky, as we wrap up our time together, what's one thing you want people to take away from our conversation? I've been thinking about this question as well. And I think the one thing I want people to take away is if you are ADHD or neurodiverse or you think you are and you feel like you're not working to your potential, it might be true that you aren't working to your potential currently. It's something that a lot of people come to us with that feeling of like, I could be doing this, but I'm just not able to get there. And it can be a very isolating experience and something people don't tell a lot of other people. Um, So if you are having that experience, I would say a lot of other people feel the same way and there are strategies to support. And where can they learn more about those strategies? (laughs) Well, they can go to um, unconventionalorganization.com. We have it with an unconventional and then organization with a Z or an S, depending on which country you're coming from. And it has um, a lot of, um, you know, research articles with practical strategies that you could take away and use. Um, And then we also have the one-on-one coaching support if you do want to talk to um, somebody who with ADHD who can support you. Fantastic. Well, Sky, what book, podcast, or resource is currently blowing your mind right now? Yeah. it's actually managing the professional um, service firm. It was a recommendation from a friend and um, it's a little bit of a dry book, but it's basically about um, kind of working in a professional services um, versus kind of a product-based um, company. And I just really love it because um, once I get through the whole book, <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna know everything about, about this industry and it's something that I'm still learning about. Thank you so much for listening to Getting Work to Work. I've been enjoying some much needed time off from producing the show, and I'm going to be taking the rest of September off. Fear not, coming up in October, I'll be returning to my normal format with monologues on Wednesdays and interviews on Friday. I already have some great guests lined up and some topics ready to unfold for you, and I can't wait to share them with you. In the meantime, create the art and work that lights you up and helps to make the world a better place. Until next month, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.